everybody at some level is an innovator and an entrepreneur. They just don't have the resources and the tools to really map that out. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. All right, all right. Welcome to episode 65. Today, we're talking about reframing the startup narrative in industry. Our guest is Julius Valentine Mina, the chief of staff at Generator, and that's Generator with an 8 instead of an A, and Generator describes themselves as a turnkey platform for the creative economy that connects startup founders, investors, corporations, job seekers, universities, musicians, and artists. Said another way, they offer a number of programs, including accelerator programs for startups, upskilling programs, corporate innovation for larger companies, as well as grant programs for artists and musicians. It's a pretty cool group, and they do have quite a bit of focus on industry. In fact, a couple of our past guests on Manufacturing Happy Hour have gone through Generator's Accelerator programs. One example is Steam Chain. Our interview with Mike Cromachy, their CEO, is back in Episode 5, as well as Xena Workwear, Anna Craft, Episode 8. So if you want to learn a bit more about some of the companies that have gone through there, make sure to check out those episodes. But let's get back to the point of today's conversation around reframing the startup narrative in manufacturing and industry. This conversation really takes place in two parts. The first part is mostly around diversity, equality, and inclusion. We talked to Julius about his background in startups and data, but very quickly after that, we discussed the tie-ins of business and government, why it's important to have a mission and action-driven approach to diversity in startups and in venture capital, and what meaningful diversity metrics look like. This ends up being a bit of a state of the state in terms of DE&I in the manufacturing space, and since Generator is so active in these initiatives, I don't think we could have picked a better group to discuss this with. The second aspect of this narrative is aligning with industry, building real relationships, and the right way to think about the problems businesses solve. As always with a big topic like this, there are some resources you might want to access after the episode. So to do that, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 65 to find the show notes from today's show. And with any conversation like this, we love to get your feedback. We probably could have had an interview, quite frankly, we could have turned this into two interviews. There was so much to discuss. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. And a great spot to do that is over on iTunes by leaving a five-star rating and review. Uh, your feedback doesn't need to be very long. could just be a couple sentences. It's very quick to do this. To get to the Apple Podcasts platform to leave these reviews, just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there on your desktop or on your iPhone. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation. Let's hear where we would be grabbing a drink with Julius as we get this discussion rolling. All right, Julius. Well, any first question on manufacturing happy hour has to be focused around the happy hour aspect. So if you and I were having this conversation live in Baltimore today, is there a favorite bar or brewery or cafe where we'd be having this discussion right now? 100% um, in this fairly brand new, it's called Guilford Hall Brewery. 
um it just they brought back the brewery concept in baltimore it's a soccer pub town so bangers and mash and good pint beers which although i am in baltimore and we love our ravens i love anything that's a good soccer themed pub so. nice nice yes proper football if you will not exactly. just uh, <laughs> not just the American kind. Well, sounds like a great spot. It's been a long time since I've been to Baltimore. I'd love to get back. The row house is there. It, to an extent, it reminds me of like a, a, a what do you call it? Like a mid-Atlantic St. Louis in some regards. So uh, that's where I'm from originally and, and would love to get back there at some point. Yeah, so. I also know the history of St. Louis actually mirrors Baltimore a little bit, like the old industry towns. It had to kind of adjust a little bit, but they stayed running and up. Um, and now there's this real estate boom that's really taking over. So, yeah. Love to hear that. And uh, uh, the the industry town aspect, I think, might play into our conversation a little bit today. But before we dive there, I'm going to I'm going to take us to Guilford Hall Brewery real quick. Let's say we're hanging out there. When you and I had the, uh, our pre conversation before this interview, you said you told me that you want to make tech fun again. What do you mean by that? How do you describe that as if you're having a drink with someone at Guilford Hall? Yeah, so the first thing I tell people, um, everything is tech, we just don't think it is, right? So when we think of the traditional tech founder, we're no longer looking at Microsoft and IBM, right? Everybody at some level is an innovator and an entrepreneur. They just don't have the resources and the tools to really map that out. So you have a crazy idea, um, whether it's food related or tech related, it just has to have an idea that you can improve on. Like example, so Nike is one of the biggest tech companies right now. Nobody thinks mm -hmm. of it that way, but they went to advertising and marketing and now everything in terms of data collection on that side, actually really tech forward. So the conversation around tech is what can you improve? And a lot of the people who are post baby boomers, right? We always say that, hey, you've lived through so many innovations. And so you have ideas in your head you just don't even realize, right? So think of a population you want to impact, grow an idea there, and you're actually probably a tech founder. I love that. You know, I think that's really relevant for our audiences here as well, because I always describe them as leaders in the manufacturing industry. And that doesn't mean someone that has the executive title or the C-suite title. Sometimes that's the case, but a leader could be someone that's on the factory floor, that's an innovator that has that entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, and we need more of that in the industry. So I like that you've framed it up like that, uh, that to start. And we'll get into that a bit later in the interview. But I want to get to know you a little bit first, Julius. Uh, so the, the first question is, you've got a really diverse background. You got a master's degree, you got a law degree, uh, you've worked in government, you've been around the block. So what got you into startups? Share a little bit about your story. Yeah, so I've always been fascinated in how we create systems for people to grow and scale. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm a data nerd. So way back when I got into this world, I approached it from an education standpoint. How are we teaching the spirit of entrepreneurship um, to overlook communities, right? So I was an educator at Morgan State University, which is a historically black college, in the School of Business with freshmen. So I looked at now one what is the retention and recruitment at this school? Meaning how well are we catering to this population? But two, are we preparing them to be entrepreneurs? One of my students said, hey, that's great. Have you ever done anything? And I said, that's not the point of education, it's theory. And, and uh, it was that moment where I realized, oh my gosh, I'm teaching something that I've never done. Um, immediately said, I have to be my own use case. 
um, but still loved policy and data, ended up in government, minority business development agency, um, the only federal agency that's focused on the growth and development of minority businesses. So I love the mission landed there um, and they do great work, but like everybody chasing a problem, it wasn't really solving what I thought they were solving. <laughs> right. So, so I, I was not able to put capital directly in the hands of founders um, and federal monies is a little bit challenging at times. Great ecosystem, great concept, um, but government needs industry to work, right? So ended up at the Census Bureau, once again, just looking at how we growing, overlooked pots of money, right? You can't have the funding for most states without a proper census. Um, and so when we talked about overlooked markets, you can literally look at the census and say the most undercounted communities get the least amount of funding, which means they mm -hmm. get the least amount of resources. And once again, I said, wait, I cannot be the only person who sees this and we still need industry. Um, and then Generator, I've been following their model, Accelerator model. Uh, but what I love about them the most was they had these insanely amazing diversity metrics. So while the whole world is saying, mm. how are we investing in overlooked founders? It was their investment thesis. So founders, Joy and Troy said, we're going to invest in middle America, right? 80% goes to New York, LA, San Francisco. Um, they said, we're going to grow entrepreneurs and find amazing startups and invest in them and actually do just as good as anybody else investing anywhere in the world. Uh, they were founded in 2012 and they proved that model. So around mm -hmm. the time when I came in, um, they said, hey, we love the data side. We love the impact side. And we're also trying to just figure out how do we tell a better narrative around this thing that we're doing, right? How do we mm -hmm. tell the founder stories, right? Uh, the diversity is great, but how do we show people that this is not just a one and done? This is like we grew like like a new industry, a new ecosystem that's helping people really grow. How do we tell that story? So I said, I would love to join the team because um, scale is a challenging thing. So we're a startup at heart, right? We mm -hmm. just hit employee 100 maybe a couple of weeks ago. So as we're scaling, okay. we have to ask the challenging question, you know, what our revenue, or who are we serving? How are we capturing our metrics? How do we scale mm -hmm. impact? And that is everything that I love. But the best part um, we're putting real resources in front of overlooked founders. So I'm back yeah. in my original thesis and now I can talk about it because I've, I've been a failed startup guy. I, I have at least two that I thought were going to make me very rich man, but instead they taught yeah. me amazing lessons. Um, so now I tell the story of my, my experience. I talk about being from Nairobi, Kenya as an immigrant. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I talk about living in Maryland. I talk about living in Iowa and what I do I leverage that as as a founder, your founder story begins way before you started building whatever product, right? Like, and, and that's what I really love doing is, is helping people tell the story, capture the data, capture the impact that they want to make, which is still a problem solution matrix, but in just a lot better. So hopefully I answered the question. Yeah, no, you absolutely answered the question, but you did bring up like two or three other questions that I've got to ask you as a follow-up now. So... I think this is important, uh, a really important topic to bring up about diversity in startups and venture capital and accelerators. You know, you're you're part of an organization that's really in the driver's seat of doing this right now. On the whole, do you see, and this isn't just generated, this is just in general, are you starting to see the right actions being taken? 
whether that's geographic diversity, um, uh, cultural diversity, all of that. Are you seeing that improve? Ooh, that's so that's a tricky question. Um, sure. Am I seeing a greater increase in people who say they want to do diverse things with their company? Yes. Mm. Right. Performative diversity and equities at the highest it's ever been in this country, meaning mm -hmm. everybody says that they care about black and brown founders mm -hmm. investing in these economies, but the data actually does not support it. So the investments um, going to women founders or diverse founders, it has actually not increased at the same rate we're seeing the PR around it. So there's that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not all doom and gloom. They are a lot of really well-intentioned VC firms who are saying, hey, we're only going to invest in black and brown founders, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of the things we do at Generator, we launched Accelerator specific to those founders. So we have a Northwestern Mutual Black Founder Accelerator. We have a Black Founder MedTech Accelerator. So we're pay pairing the Black Founder and we're pairing the MedTech. But what we always say, these are still the best startups in the world. They just happen mm -hmm. to be Black founders and we're leveraging sure. that as well. So we're finding the most talented individuals, putting them to programs, because the thing that's actually lacking is people claim they just don't see high talent, you know, high talent and in, in, in diversity when it comes mm -hmm. to founders. So we say, don't just invest because they're black, right? Take the time to really select the best and brightest um, or develop that talent, but do one mm -hmm. of the two and then show us your receipts, <laughs> right? Yeah. What, is, what is the price tag you're actually putting into these communities? women, minority founders, black and brown, immigrant founders, are you even tracking that? Mm -hmm. And then the outcome, right? So the follow-on funding is such a key metric. So example, we do about 700 million, we're closer to a billion dollars in follow-on funding, meaning mm -hmm. people come to our program, they end up raising more money. But the challenge that, or the problem we're solving for minority founders, it's really hard for them to get that initial pre-seed funding. Mm -hmm. Right. So whereas we're seeing uh, season startups raising one to five million in the traditional seed round, that pre-seed is really where we need more capital being driven into um, and cohort programs that support the complete life cycle of I'm growing my idea. I'm pre-seed. Now I have a network and I'm going to help you to get the next pot of money. That's what we're really trying to solve. And I think that's where more capital needs to be put. But it's we're getting there slowly but surely. So if I'm hearing it right, and, and you're, you're a data guy, so your answer makes sense, right? You're talking about looking at where, you know, what the pre-seed funding looks like. You're looking at what follow-on funding looks like, you know, for, because we have a lot of allies that listen to this show. We have, a, we also have a very diverse listener base. Are, are there other metrics people should be paying attention to that you would add on to those? Or would you say those are some of the key ones when it comes to starting to create that more diverse ecosphere. Well, yeah. So the, the only other one that I would add from a state level, because it's almost uh, a pure capital investment, but then there's also jobs created, right? Mm -hmm. So we track jobs created. So right now, I think since being founded, we've helped create 6,800 plus jobs, meaning every time a startup founder figures out how to run their business, right? How to raise that funding, they invariably then have to hire somebody to be mm -hmm. part of their team. And each time that's done at a state level, states are like, oh my gosh, the, the jobs creation model will invest in the startup ecosystem now because what they're looking for is jobs created, right? But in the same conversation, 
when you now take a founder who's diverse, black and brown, and help them hire somebody, now you're actually hitting another metric that most people don't realize. Minority founders are usually solo entrepreneurs. So part of the challenge is raising the capital helps them grow their team, but also helps them employ people that look like them, Mm -hmm. right? So that is also such a quiet metric out there that's economic impact at a really high level. And we're tracking that as well. So uh, money invested into black and brown founders, the growth of the team, following financing and jobs created as uh, things that we track that we think everybody should track. Because at the end of the day, that's just framing the economic impact of diverse founders as X, mm-hmm. right? And challenging people to start tracking that. I love that you have a way to uh, honestly, you know, have people put money where their mouth is, right? You mentioned a lot of people are saying, hey, we do this, but you back it all up with data. And that's what I appreciate the work that you're doing at Generator, um, the work you're doing individually as well. Awesome stuff. Um, I always learn a lot from these interviews. I know our audience does as well. So I appreciate you taking us down this path. I also, I'm going to pivot a little bit too, because another thing you mentioned in your first answer was you're like, I've learned a lot through my failures with startups as well. Can you tell us what one of those lessons is? Ooh, um, yeah, so sometimes you can have the best team, the best idea, and just not make it, right? And it's 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 challenging. Um, one of the startups that I worked on was a blockchain um, project management platform before mm-hmm. blockchain was hot and sexy. Mm-hmm. We combined the best team. So everything that I knew, we had the right team. Um, we talked about being a technical person in tech. Um, we recruited that, right? So I am not a technical founder, but you don't need to be anymore. So we had, uh, I was not the founder, um, but we got two guys from IBM who are amazing. Mm. Um, both founders, one of them was a veteran, right? So I was like, we're going to also leverage the whole veteran founder piece. Um, but the industry was not ready for the idea. Yeah. Right. Customer discovery, you just assume your idea is going to be adopted, but if that doesn't happen, that's it, Right. Um, I think we waited a little bit too long to start raising money, right? We probably should have gone the accelerator route. So it was bootstrapped majority of the time. Um, and so by the time we came to the funding table, we were asking for five to seven. So we did not do the traditional pre-seed or even the mm-hmm. traditional seed. And so for a lot of VCs, we were almost too good, too scared, mm. right? Okay. It's almost like you guys are asking for $7 million. You already have a guys from IBM, blockchain, project management, you're impacting construction, right? And all our data said, we are in markets that are gonna be guaranteed to grow. Um, But everybody kept asking, who gave you your first pot of money? And we were like, we just grinded it out. Like it was equity based, right? We we raised the whole team, nobody was being paid, but we were all had equity stake. Um, And so when I talk to founders, I always say, even the greatest ideas might need to make sense. Right. So if we would have just gone through an accelerator program and then if that was the reason why we were successful, right, there's still a diversity bias. Um, it would have made sense to the 82 percent of non-diverse VCs out there who just had never come across a rock star team like ours. And then that have been like, mm-hmm. oh, you went through Generator. Right. Oh, you went through Y Combinator. That's why you guys know all of this. Um, but I love that story because. Now I could say I tried. I have pitch decks to show that we have great ideas, but industry fit um, mm-hmm. is the one thing I tell every single founder. Like, please know your industry. 
please know that your industry is ready to adopt your idea. Or if not, pivot. If you're still building within two years, completely bootstrapped, um, get a use case, get a mm -hmm. customer, right? Like that use case customer matrix is like, it vets you out because um, it's somebody who believes in what you're building. Um, and also consider clients that you wouldn't think are clients. So if we would have gone to government entities and said, hey, city of Anchorage, Alaska, we want to walk with you through this new tech system, help you audit, right? Even changing language. Instead of project management, we could have said, we're trying to audit your finances around projects. Um, so just learning the language and being able to pivot and, and don't take it personal. Because <laughs> I yeah. did. We all did. Yeah. We walked away with like, this could have gone very different. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. I have a special guest to take care of this ad for me, so keep listening. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine-as-a-service company, meaning they equip end-users and equipment builders with the technology that allows them to pay or get paid based on machine performance and production outcomes. That's right, Steamchain is flipping the centuries-old capital procurement process on its head. Now, if you listen to this show regularly, you know I think Machine as a Service is one of the best solutions in manufacturing right now. But don't take it from me. Hear it from their customers. Let's hear what Robex's president, Craig Francisco, has to say about their Flex Machine as a Service program. You can invest in automation without having to wait your turn for your capital project to be approved. The big benefit for our customers, it takes a lot of pressure off of them to have the system running perfectly when we leave. Typically, once an integrator is done with the installation and startup, then it's it's now the responsibility of the customer to make sure it's humming along and working. With the Flex program, they know that we're there every step of the way. You know, we're just a phone call away 24-7. If we can't do it over the phone, we'll be on site to support them. To learn more, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain or tune in to episode 45 featuring Robex, where Craig talks all about machine as a service. And now, back to today's episode. I'm curious. This is this is great advice for uh, for startups out there. I've got one more personal question that I because I, I think you're giving us some good tactical advice on the startup mentality and ways people need to reframe their thinking. Maybe it's in, what, what type of intrinsic motivation gets you to bounce back? Because everyone listening to this show has you know failed in some regard before. What gets you to bounce back when uh, when things don't play out the way you had hoped? So, so I'll, I'll give you the warm fuzzy, and I'll give you the practical. Um, okay. I think for me, a lot of the things I do have an economic social impact mm -hmm. uh, agenda. So I'm always trying to help somebody or something. So my improvement after that. So for the last startup, I was a chief impact officer. So we just needed to see how it worked. And then we could take that exact model and figure out how now we can ensure more sustainability in projects in black and brown communities. Right. So that was mm -hmm. the thing that I was like, this problem that I'm trying to solve is a forever problem for me. And so mm -hmm. finding that forever problem you're trying to solve is there. But the practical advice, the people who build stuff are now smarter than you. It's actually not a smart man's game. The VCs are amazing people and we love them, but a lot of them have actually never been a founder, right? Mm. There's a lot of finance guys who understand the numbers. So you walk in, they'll say, 
what's your revenue, what's your ARR, um, equity, right? But but it's all just language once you learn it. It's not that deep and technical. So you don't need nobody smarter than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and dumber mm-hmm. people have actually done this and done really well. And so a lot a lot of my founders, the first time I said that, they're like, Can you say that? And I'm like, it's true. Yeah. Right? Like this is not a this is not the time when it was a the guy coding AI coming up with these novel, you know, models for tech. It's just people who figured out how to run a business, get a team, and then go get some money from people that they know. And because they've done it before, they could do it easier over and over again. Same playbook, same understanding, and what makes this generation unique and this group of founders unique. We actually have stories around why we're doing. Like we're not just the same boat boring guys from Harvard and Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, who figured out a model. Now it's like a generation of social impact thinkers who were asking, how do we solve environment, right? Advanced manufacturing is now all AI based, right? So where do I fit in, right? Uh, the beauty and health is so, it's biotech now, right? Uh, data drives engagement in music, right? So now I'm a musician, I'd be, I should be thinking about music tech. So now the musician mm-hmm. can come up with a tech company because they're the most versed in that, right? So now the population of people creating, I think, are the most diverse. And I mean, race, place, gender, age, where they went to school ever in the world. And that's the new disruption. And that's the exciting part. And But the old people who were building were not this cool. We're not this fun. We're not this, ingenu- <laughs> you know, they didn't have this level of ingenuity. They just had a playbook um, of old. And so I tell people, we are the ones that have to start creating. And if we can get all, God bless America, um, we need to start commercializing and coming up with new technologies to remain competitive as a country. So for the first mm-hmm. time, investing in overlooked markets in middle America is actually the new economic imperative for us. Like we need to innovate. We need to invent. We need to have patents. Um, mm-hmm. And they need to come from untapped markets like that's that's what we have to do as a country and so every now and then in in middle america that's the narrative people are like yeah i love i love this country now i want to be a founder because i'm doing my part um so just it depends how you just frame it but it's a different um piece of motivation so how do we how do we get more people interested then right when when you and i spoke before you said we need a hype man for the next generation to get involved in industry. And we're going to talk a little bit more about industry, but you know, how are you doing that in, in your current role? Yeah. So in my current role, I, I'm the default hype man, right? So, okay. Uh, and one of the things we're doing in generator and COVID challenged this, but um, alumni relations and the tech accelerator accelerator world is not a thing. So people go mm-hmm. through generator Y combinator and they're part of the network, but, Founders don't have the time to, okay, now I have access to VCs. Let me go out there and have fun and do hype man stuff. Um, so essentially, we're looking up this road tour model where I'll just hit up a bunch of VCs and say, I'll be in LA and I'll bring some of our founders. In mm-hmm. tech tech world, it's I have deal flow for you to look at, but I don't say deal flow. I just say, I have really cool people that are part of our network. Let's hang out. And when they hang out before they... Um, start talking about their metrics and the AIR. Um, literally, race, price, and gender are, are, are the things we're using. 
So I'll say, hey, he's from Indiana. He went to Indiana University. The, only because I know the VC went to Indiana University. They have mm-hmm. not even at that moment scratched the surface of what he's building. He's like, oh, where'd you stay? What hall? And now 10 minutes of a conversation about Indiana turns into, okay, now what are you building? Right. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out how to do that organic initial where the VC gets to step away from, I'm just a guy with a check. Mm-hmm. And he's reminded, oh my gosh, I used to be a college student. And I know yeah. I was in Milwaukee. We talked about cheese curds. I've never had cheese curds. Right? Of course. It, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This guy was like, I'll tell you where to get the best fried cheese curds. And they went back and forth and, and now they text. Right. So they, he, he didn't leave with just a VC contact. Um, he has a friend. Right. So almost like how do you really build relationships that are not swipe right, swipe left? Mm-hmm. Right? How do you mm-hmm. go through the romance of getting to know a person? who they are, where they came from, what they're building, because the reality is from a data perspective, VCs have a set amount of money they're going to give. They know mm-hmm. what it is. And it's a numbers game. If they invest in 10 startups a year and one of them does well, that's good number for them. But if they end up liking five people out of the 10, now they have good relationships. Now they'll flip the conversation to say, instead of saying, you're not who we'll invest in, they say, let's stay in touch. You know, this is what you will tweak. Let's give it eight to 10 months and then they'll revisit the conversation. But until then, this person actually helps pre-seed companies grow. Mm-hmm. And what he's actually doing, because I've had this conversation with VC, I asked him, how do you create your own deal flow? And he's like, I, I don't understand. People just give me deal flow. Like I call people, I have money. And I was like, no, you can organically create your own deal flow by just maintaining your relationships longer. He's like, we have to talk. And now we've just been chatting it up. He'll literally call me randomly and be like, hey, I'm looking for um, autonomous tech um, out of the Midwest. I know a guy that I met in New York, and that's all he wants is autonomous tech. And I'll quietly say, well, we actually just launched an autonomous tech accelerator. I'll connect you to the director of that program and just be his friend. And he'll just shoot you a list of all the cool ones. And now he's the guy in his circle who can just say, oh, I have a list of autonomous tech startups. So now he just became the coolest guy. Mm -hmm. and his crew um, because nobody knows how to source founders and they're all there like there's not a founder problem there's not a dope ideas problem it's just the pieces aren't connected and to your point about being a hype man i know how to hide people up but at the truest level of who they are so even if it's a person who typically doesn't like to talk to vcs i'll say okay who on your team does (laughs) because if you don't like to talk to vcs we're not going to put you in front of the VC, but yeah. at any time you could be part of the meeting. So even just knowing how to leverage the team and, and telling them, Hey, that person on your team is really good with people. Find out who that is. At the end of the day, you still have the equity. You're still the founder. You don't have to be the face all the time, mm-hmm. um, but you need a high man on your team. So yeah. that's who you find. So. I, uh, what I like about that answer is your emphasis on relationships, which I think is a big part of the equation for, you know, the industrial world, for example, that's how business has been done, done for years there. I also have to piggyback on that. As far as I'm concerned, the best cheese curds in Milwaukee, where I live, since it's manufacturing happy hour, we have to give a shout out to it, are at the Vanguard, where they have this like bacon aioli dip that go with them as well, which is superb. So I'll include that in the show notes as well, but I'm curious what what the answer to that that conversation was, if you uh, if you recall. 
I, I don't because I'm still yet to ever have cheese curds. But mm. what I do know is there's at least one uh, one founder and one VC who said, the next time you're in town, I'm taking you for some cheese curds. To which I told the founder, that's the relationship that you want, right? They're yeah. saying, next time you come here, we're guaranteed to see each other. We're guaranteed to mm-hmm. meet. And now that's another 30-minute networking thing. But when I find out what they are, if I like them, which I'm still skeptical, I'll let you know. Sure. Okay. Sound, sounds good. Well, hey, whether it's cool tech or cheese curds, it's always good to have a reason to come uh, come back and keep the conversation going with someone. Absolutely. So, well, hey, we're, we're getting towards the, the ending portion of our interview, but I've still got a, a couple questions for you. You know, uh, another big comment you made when we first talked was, how do we get startups to think about industry rather than just dope technology, as, as you phrased it? What's, what's the secret there? So I will start with data. So um, I was just in Phoenix at American Engineer Society in Engineering. Um, it's a focus on American Indian populations, Native Americans. And I presented on mm-hmm. emerging trends, entrepreneurship, and the gig economy. Mm-hmm. And from a data perspective, we know what the emerging markets are. It's it's not a secret. Like we can literally Google right now and look at the emerging markets. So anything AI, autonomous, cloud computing. Um and then you take that and say, okay, which markets have the biggest market cap? Okay, now you're in a good range of betting. So bet on that. What technologies are coming from that, right? Bet on that. Um, tap into the federal government. Which federal agency is giving up free patents in that arena? And then figure out any problem that you're trying to solve in your community. And then just match it to the market. So by the time you go in front of anybody, you can now just say, hey, I'm doing health tech. It's a market cap of $4.9 billion, and I'm targeting middle America, Indiana, middle mm-hmm. Bend, because we've noticed that this community does not have blank, right? Mm-hmm. I still haven't said what I'm building, but I guarantee you there's somebody out there that I want to work with that guy. <laughs> and so you just find the market, the biggest one, um, which actually guarantees that you'll hit something. Find the community you're trying to impact and then find the problem. And I know a lot of people don't always like that version because everybody says, find your problem first and then try to solve it. And I can tell you not every solvable problem has a market Mm -hmm. or has a customer or has somebody who will invest in it. Yeah. But I can guarantee you, you can find a market with a problem that probably needs solving. And so try to solve that market. Try to make it unique to you and your community. And grow there. And uh, if not, if else, if all else fails, come to us. We have a med tech accelerator, ag tech. We have autonomous tech. Um, we did one with hygiene IoT with Boston um, Scientific, which a lot of people were like hygiene tech, and we're like, just look at the market cap. Like, there's if you build industries, if you build in industries of scale, um, there's somebody who will most likely invest. And that's what you want. You want to be investable. You want to be in an industry that matters, not only now, but 10 years from now. Um, mm-hmm. And then find a cool problems to solve. I, I love that answer. Um, I think it's a great way to reframe the perspective, right? Because people think, oh, well, find a problem and solve it, right? Boom, company. But I like that you say you need a market or better. I, I love that you use the word community. You need a community that has a problem that needs solving. So you've been doing a lot to reframe our perspective around startups, problem solving, 
diversity in this space today. You know, I'm glad you got into discussing how Generator has those different groups that align with ag tech and, and med tech. So that's, uh, that's where I was going to go with that next, because I've, I know that you guys are doing that. Uh, you know, I've, I've got time for about one more question at this point. And, and Julius, we've covered a ton of ground. Is there something you wish I would have asked you, though, that, that we haven't touched on yet? Well, um, not so much. I think we've actually covered a lot of really good stuff, but the conversation around d I I think is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing I want to add, how you invest in DNI is reflected not only in your mission, but in your team. Um, so one of the things I, I think Generator has done really well, um, and t- women and BIPOC founders, uh, not uh, employees, we've done a really good job intentionally recruiting people in the communities we want to serve. So if you have a vision and a mission and you say, I want to serve this community, and let's just say your idea or your team does not reflect that community, be intentional. Like it, it's actually going to help your company do amazing impact if you um, intentionally recruit people that reflect and understand the community that you're trying to serve. Um, but it also works for any idea you're trying to solve, right? Example, there's this whole new thing about women-centered innovation. So back in the day, it was a bunch of like men, because just mm-hmm. being a man is privileged. And mm-hmm. they'll build ideas, but the my, my major consumer was actually women, right? From a consumer, they go and buy and they understand products. It took a really long time for people to realize, oh my gosh, we should start creating products with women in mind, women's and innovation. So how the car drives, where you put the steering wheel. Um, but I think that's where we're headed now. So we could take mm-hmm. the same thing and say, figure out the community and center innovation around them, um, but hire teams and hire people from those communities to support that work, right? That's, if there's a thing that I wanted to come out more than anything else is that, and Generator, shout out to Joe and Troy once again, they've done a phenomenal job in recruiting a really amazing team from 23 cities. Um, so we're in 23 cities now to just to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the job we do is we just want to be the best partner for communities to invest in the best and brightest. So also make your mission simple, right? That's our mission. We just want to be the best partner, right? So if there's anybody listening, we would love to partner with whoever wants to grow this ecosystem of dope entrepreneurs and dope founders um, who are solving problems all over America. So I love you. it. I, yeah, I, I can't think of a better way to end it, right? You know, you've given us a lot of really, I mean, honestly, inspiring advice, but also really practical advice to go with it as well. And I can't think of a better way to describe it than how you invest in DNI is not only reflected in your mission, but with your team as well. I appreciate you making this so actionable, having this important conversation with us today. Um, I will make sure there are ways that everyone listening to this show can get connected with Generator as well. And uh, in the meantime, I just want to say, Julius, thanks so much for jumping on today's show. Thank you. Thank you. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, you have my information so they can contact me. Julius at generator.com is my email. And I look forward to it. And thank you again, Chris. And that is Generator with an eight, not a T, correct? Exactly. Generator with eight. Yep. All right. Well, as always, show notes will be available at manufacturinghappyhour.com. With that, to everyone out there, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here next time. Cheers. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Big shout out to Julius and Generator for collaborating on this episode. Honestly, I'm surprised it took me so long to get them on the show, seeing as how 
We have worked with some of the companies that have been featured on Manufacturing Happy Hour in the past. But nevertheless, if you want to learn more about Generator, you can head to Generator.com. Again, that's Generator with an 8 instead of an A, the number 8 instead of the letter A. Or you can just go to the show notes page at ManufacturingHappyHour.com slash 65, where you can get access to the show notes, find out more about what we talked about, and of course, access the drinking destination we mentioned at the start of this episode. I do need to make my way out to Baltimore. It has been a very, very long time, and glad I know where to catch a drink when I'm out there next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider providing your feedback over at Apple Podcasts by leaving a five-star rating and review. You can get there on your iPhone or on your desktop by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you straight there. And before this episode wraps up, I do want to thank our sponsor and past Generator Accelerator Program graduate, SteamChain. SteamChain is the machine-as-a-service company, and they are absolutely changing the game in the manufacturing industry in terms of the way equipment is procured. They de-risk the process by allowing end-users to pay for equipment based on performance rather than as a capital expense as it has been done in the past. For equipment manufacturers, this creates a great ongoing revenue stream, and honestly, it's a win-win for both parties. Based on this model, end-users and OEMs continue to be incentivized to collaborate and get more out of their equipment on a regular basis. To learn more, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain. And with that, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for sticking around. Fun interview, big interview, important topics. We'll be back with more great conversations next week. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll see you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.